We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. In 2003, Nike signed 13-year-old Freddie Adu to a seven-figure contract. But Freddie didn't live up to the hype. He has turned down every single documentary project looking closely at the details of his career. Until now. People are going to look at everything you did because of the hype surrounding your arrival and what they think you can be. I'm Grant Wall, and this is American Prodigy, Freddie Adu, from Blue Wire Podcasts. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by Indeed and BetOnline.ag. I'm Pete, joined as always by Darius and Mike. And since we last talked, we had one more signing for the Lakers. Markeith Morris resigned with the Lakers for one year, $2.6 million, which was the veterans' minimum. And uh, that, at I believe, I think we've got three spots left open. And I, But I think Keith's return marks the last the last rotation guy. Now we'll see, we'll see who gets added with the minimum spots, but I do think that we have a complete rotation, right? Uh, let's start with you, Mike. What do you think, man? We've most of the main work's been done. We, these are the guys that I, I think we're going to roll with. What, what do you see out of this group? Yeah. If I'm canvassing the league, Pete and Darius, and you, you just, just give me these four players. You give me Schroeder, Montrezl Harrell, Wesley Matthews and Marcus Saul, I'm like, 
wow, I really, I, I really kind of like each one of those guys, uh, what they do in some sense individually, and then what they can do as part of the team concept. And then you add that to a couple of key retentions. You mentioned Markeith Morris. All three of us have mentioned on the last couple of pods that we really liked what he did in the postseason, and it was going to be important, especially if they get him at that number, considering what his brother uh, got and, and how you know their skill sets aren't necessarily that disparate. So the way that everything has come together uh, is super enticing and super interesting to see. And I agree with you, Pete, they could bring in a couple of the guys, maybe they'll challenge for playing time, but for the most part, you're already 10 deep and that's not counting THT, who mm-hmm. I think we also think can, can really uh, make a challenge to get into the rotation, especially on nights that a guy's got a nick here and knack there. So I, I really, I, I can't say anything negative about the way that the roster is put together. And that's a credit when you can't name a team in the Western conference, which we'll try to do later in the podcast uh, that improved more than the team that won the chip last year, Darius. And that, that to me is exactly what Rob Planka said he was going to try to do after we spoke to him initially uh, about the shooter trade. And to me, I think that these moves kind of put that in lock, at least on paper. Robin, the, front office team did do exactly what Rob said they were going to try to do, right? And they did avoid complacency. They did seek upgrades. They did a couple of other things. Like we've mentioned this some, but I want to highlight it here. They got younger in key ways. They got more athletic in key ways. Um, They did lose athleticism at the center position, which is something I think that we can talk out and that'll probably be a topic that comes up in future pods in terms of like how how this team will be meaningfully different and what that means for the projection of how they could play, which I think is a meaningful conversation that won't take place today. But look at me here. I'm giving us podcast topics for a week from now or whatever. (laughs) Sure. But the idea of just like you said, Mike, those four, four players on their own, I would have loved to have had them last year. I'm certainly very happy to have them this year. I think that they are totally slot in replacements for players who the Lakers lost. And while they're not the same exact type of archetype or possess the same exact skill set, they can meaningfully contribute and upgrade the Lakers roster in real ways. And there is no bad thing to say about these moves. You can question the fit maybe here or there, like, and, and you can look at what players aren't which is sort of like the deficit model, which I try to avoid personally. Sure. When, Especially when, with role players. Yeah. Yeah. When I'm talking about role players specifically, but just in general, like I think this has been a theme of my writing over the years and, and the way I tend to look at life, it's like, what can you do? Mm-hmm. And let's try to tailor things and, and get the best out of you in the things that you can do well and the things that you don't do well. How can we either a try to cover those things up within the context of a team sport like well like basketball or how can we try to improve those things right like and that's what the game is that's what coaching is that's what building a team is and i'm you know this is a continuation from the last pod but i'm thrilled with what the team has done and bringing back Keith, I think, does put in place a wonderful 10-man rotation that gives the Lakers depth. It gives them the ability to to play a bunch of different styles. And 
what like what else can you say, Pete? I'm sure you have stuff. Keith to add, was though. yeah, Keith was a starter for us deep into the playoffs, deep into the playoffs, and he provides a level of physicality and toughness and versatility. It was really essential to what we were last year. That ability to start in the rocket series to start at, at, at different portions. Right. And uh, to be able to come off of the bench and hit, hit a wing three, right. On nights where maybe we were struggling from behind the arc, but Keith kind of embodies each of our off season additions. There's, I've been thinking about now that the rotation is set, what the personality of this team is. And one thing that stands out to me about all of the additions, and I want to get into Wesley Matthews a little bit more. I know you lamented my, uh, you know, what, little my, ribbing there, Pete, a little yeah, ribbing. I, 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 I appreciate it. I know a little, and I just started my tape work on him. What happens on free agency? I, I can only get to so many guys at one time, you know what I mean? To have any. So I've really watched Schroeder tape. Yeah. I've really watched Harold if, tape. If you want to fall asleep happy tonight, just listen to the full Matthew yes. Zoom uh, with reporters today because that will. I was thinking about both of you guys actually while listening to him talk and like, oh man, <laughs> they, these guys would be chopping this stuff up. Yeah, and as and when he was talking about that, right, and this ties in with Keith, this ties in with Schroeder, ties in with Harold. Really competitive guys. Like this, yeah. this strikes me as a very competitive roster. And I'm curious about. I've been thinking so much about the idea, and I'm curious of your thoughts on this, Mike. Of how do you balance the idea of the team needs to be healthy with the team needs to not skip any steps in the process, right? And I think that we've got even up to eleven guys with THT. We've got eleven guys who can get run right. You can tighten that up as the season goes on, but being able to have everybody in the mid to high twenties, LeBron and AD, you know, LeBron at low thirties, maybe AD a couple minutes more since he's younger, but the more guys you have playing 20 minutes per game plus the better. And each guy that we added was a key rotation piece for a playoff team. All of them were starters with the exception of Montrez Harrell, who was the sixth man of the year, right? So these are all guys that are used to playing into the playoffs. Schroeder was the only guy that didn't get beyond the first round. And so there's a competitiveness to each individual that I'm, it's less about our opponents to me this year than it is about us. And this is true in any year, right? But that idea of, can we challenge each other? Can the practices be amazing? The training camp, right? And, but there's that balance, Mike, of got to keep guys healthy too. So what, how do we weigh that? Well, and, and so Schroeder also off the bench, uh, Pete, but he seems like a starter and, and essentially finished games, right? I mean... Oh, I'm sorry. I thought he started a couple yeah. of games for them. Yeah, yeah, he, yeah. He, no, he, I think he did start some games, but he was, right, he, he was, um, what was runner it, second up, and six of the year? Yeah, voted. runner yeah, up. So he, for the most part, came off the bench, but he, but he, again, he played like 31 minutes a game, so uh, starters minutes in all of their lineups. In fact, the best lineup in the NBA for plus minus last year was the shooter in with the rest of the OKC starters. Uh, the three, right. Yeah. I thought he was starting so, by playoff time. That's my bet. Yeah. 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 Um, so a couple of things, first of all, I, you know, I've said this before and I don't love defensive rating as its own statistic, but I was, as I was looking up Matthews and Gasol from last year and you account for like minimum 15 games played, right. A minimum amount of minutes uh, per game, they rank second and third in the league in defensive rating. Uh, so part of that is credit to the bucks and how they played in the Raptors and how they played their sort of products of that team defense to an extent, but it's also because they're smart, tough, dogged defenders. And like, that was one thing 
that excited me in hearing Matthews's answer. So at so first of all, Pete, the first several minutes of it were all of the stuff that you were looking for. He's tough as nails, he, like he's going to work his ass off. Uh, and he, he sorely acknowledges how great the team was last year. And he just needs to come in and support that. Trez said the same thing. So like the guys are coming into this culture now. Oh yeah, they won last year. LeBron and AD are there. I'm not, I'm not coming in here trying to be the guy who's got to play X amount of minutes and who's got to do this or that. Like that's, that's uh, to me uh, a, a real boon in its own right. And then the next part of that is just the, the, the specifics of Matthews and the defense. And here, I'm just going to kind of read a part of the quote. This is when I was thinking of you guys specifically. So I asked him, Hey, you, the way that Vogel played last year, there's some similarities in the way that the Bucks played defensively in terms of protecting the rim as the main point of emphasis, but there's, but he kind of, he, he didn't push back on the question. He just was like, yeah, the Lakers definitely had those core principles, but what, what I really appreciated, and this is I as in him was, was the, all of those, all of the just heady defensive things that I, that he saw during the game. So here it is uh, the way the NBA is trending now, protecting the rim, guarding the three and protecting the rim are the three most important things. But what I saw with the Lakers was a lot of adjustments. You have your base, but sometimes it's the NBA. People are going to get going. You've got guys like Damon Steph, countless other guys that can pull up 38 feet. Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I saw a lot of variations on defense, which I think is something that's important. Me, I'm going to do whatever it is they need me to do. I'd like to think I know a thing or two on the defensive end. I can read situations. I can make adjustments on the fly. And I'm a defensive mind on the team full of defensive minded people. And add in Marcus hmm. Saul. One of the I want to get into a de- defensive stance. Yeah. I want to get a, do some defensive slides after hearing that. I mean, in Marcus Saul, one of the smartest defensive players in recent memory and like, all of yeah. the stuff that we were thinking as a possible concern, like, oh, did they lose a little bit of athleticism on that end? Uh, but like, b- boom, like just listen to that. Listen to that. And yeah. Marcus Ole is going to come in with the same approach, guys. So that is that is just music to the to Vogel's ears there. Can I just say that one of the things that I thought was, I think we gave it a lot of credit. I don't know if this was like a national media talking point about the Lakers. Um Probably by the finals, it was, especially in relation to Rondo, but just how smart this team was. Pete, you and I sort of talked talk about Dwight Howard, for for example, yeah. just being a really smart defensive player. And obviously, so. Anthony Davis being a really smart player overall, but especially defensively. And then obviously, Braun and obviously Rondo, right? But it was music to my ears to hear Wesley Matthews talk about, like, you know, the thing that I noticed was, the adjustments. And I'm a guy who could do that stuff too. I can make in-game adjustments. I can, I have a defensive mind. You add a Marcus Saul, who is another, just like his brother, man, pal, who we watched for several years, just be like, oh, this dude just gets it. He just gets it. He understands how to play the game. And there is a synergy that exists when you get multiple guys like that on the floor at the same time, especially when they're flanking a guy like LeBron James and Anthony Davis. And so, yeah, it was music to my ears to hear Wesley Matthews say those things. I think Marcus all is going to be the same way. And look, I was watching some tape of Montrez Harrell and I'm just like, Oh, you see his floater. Look at this little like, 10, 12 foot, like push shot. And you know what I did? Yes, I saw that. But you know what else I saw? The free throw line exploded the rim and dunk. Like that's, that's that's what I like. Well, you know what? You know what I like was short roll catch Mm -hmm. read, 
right? Yeah. Read, read strong side corner, read short side corner, throw the skip over the top, right? Throw the diagonal back mm -hmm. to the shoulder area for an open three, right? Pass to the shoulder to Paul George, who is then swing to the corner, right? There's like, there is boom, boom, boom action that he has been, a that Harrell has been a part of. And those are things that you learn over time. And it's good to see him coming to the Lakers already with some of that skill set that isn't really highlighted about him when you talk about what are the most effective parts of his game. And so there's, there's an, there's a basketball intelligence there that matters. And, and the more and more of those guys you have on your roster, the more that like, that's a skill on top of itself. And Pete, when you talk about stacking skills, yeah. one of the, one of the skills you definitely want stacked is basketball IQ, right? You can never have enough of that. There's never, uh, I, we've got too many guys that, that have that on this team. And that is part of that's not as part. It's really the foundation of my excitement is it's this roster is an intersection of talent competitiveness and expertise like expertise and know-how mark like watching mark tape he knows exactly the pass that he's supposed to make he's also getting older and he's doesn't jump very high anymore and those things matter in basketball right it's not just being able to make the correct read and all of that but that's the thing is that we've got other guys and you brought up harrell one of the things i'm excited about with this season is montrez harrell's player development we think of a guy like him as being like the guy that he's going to be, but he's 26 years old. He's younger than Alex Caruso is. We talk about, hey, Alex, what, what if AC adds a more consistent spot up three or a pull up elbow jumper? Same thing's true with Montrezl Harrell, especially because he's got talent. He's got talent on the defensive end. Some of his technique is sloppy. That's somewhere that he needs to develop. He's got talent as a passer on a team where that will be celebrated. And that when he makes that short roll and makes that skip to the corner, you're going to have three guys standing up on the bench, raising number three in the air because they know that that corner three. And if Wes Matthews knocks down that corner three, they're all going to celebrate that because there's a lot of basketball nerds on this team. Yeah. And that's along with the competitiveness. That's something that I, and, and it really, that, that's Vogel, that's Palenka, that's us, right? Like the, the whole ecosystem really, and that really uh, values, right? Basketball expertise, basketball nerddom, being obsessed with the game. You've got a lot of guys like that. And so, the one concern that I have, right, this is my paranoid side, is there's a lot of guys, Mike, that are used to getting, I think, a little more touches than they're going to get this year, a little more shots. We just got, mm -hmm. you know, between Harrell, Schroeder, last year it was LeBron and AD and a bunch of guys who might get five shots and that were fine with getting five shots, and that was their expectation. How do yep. we navigate those waters with, you know, because that all can be dangerous. It's a totally valid concern, and it's it's one that – so I would be more worried about it if the Lakers didn't win the title last year. Yeah. And, and, like, and therefore, there's just – there's a little bit more angst. There's a little bit more desperation. There's a little bit more, well, wait a second, then when, when do LeBron's contract come up? What is AD signing? Like, there's, there's just more nervousness. It's like a little bit the way that the Clippers are going to, or a team like that, that's going to be looking at this season, right? In that, that total desperation mode. So I think that by winning that embeds a lot of the, a lot of the sacrifice, the sacrifice type things that have to come in um, to this team. 
And that's the easiest way to sell it. It's, it happens on rig night when the new guys see the old guys uh, get their rings. It like, it continues as the season goes on. And, you know, my, my personal experience of you guys, of course, watch very intently was the, was the Lakers coming back from the previous season. They only really added our test as the rotation piece. So that, that is a little bit different this time where you have four players who are going to be key in the rotation, but they're at the point of their careers for the most part, even though, you know, Shooter and Harrell are in that kind of AD age range 26, 27 and have some more to go. Kuzma has some upside. It's still like LeBron and AD are so clearly the two best players that they are just by nature going to have to eat the most. And amongst the rest of them, is there going to be some competition for buckets for playing time? Yes, but cool, right? Like go out and show me Kuz. If, if you need to be playing 30 minutes, Montrez, if you want to close games, is that defense coming along? And, mm -hmm. and guess, and they're also on, these guys are not on long-term deals where like part of that is, I'm not saying it's all positive Darius, but it's, it's not like that tension to me doesn't have to be a bad thing. If it's, if it's handled by the LeBron AD and Vogel sort of hierarchy. Can I also say to Mike that LeBron's an unselfish player. <laughs> Anthony Davis is an unselfish player. They're collaborative too. Right. Yeah. Marcus Gasol is an unselfish player. Alex Caruso is an unselfish player. Right. Yeah. Matthews, KCP. Matthews, KCP. Yeah. Those guys are extra pass guys too. Right. And so one of the things that I think develops and is part of a team culture is the fact like we're going to play together. We're going to make the right basketball play. And that, and and you will get touches, right? You may not always get the shot, right? But if you make the right play, the ball will come back to you as well, right? And, and so that would be, so I'm with Pete with the idea that like, hey, this is something to keep an eye on. It's something to sort Just of- keep on the put, radar, yep. Right? No, I'm, to, I'm with to, you too, I'm with you too. Yeah. yeah, no, totally. But I'm also with Mike in that, Establish the culture and it'd be one thing. And I do look at LeBron and AD for leadership here, not just from the stamp standpoint of, Oh, well, they're clearly the best players. Clearly they eat first. Right. Right. The, the whole Shaq and Kobe idea of like, Oh, these are the big dogs. The big dog eats. Right. Like that Shaq's old famous quote, but I'd be much more concerned if both of these players hadn't shown what type of superstars they actually are over the course of their careers, which are, which are good teammates, guys who are sharing the ball. LeBron led the damn league in assists last year. You won't find a guy who is going to make the extra pass more than him when it's time to make the extra pass. So that would be my little bit of pushback against that. Not that Pete, you're like pushing hard the idea like, oh, selfishness sure is going to ruin this team, right? You're Definitely not making not. that point. Mm -hmm. But just the idea of I have confidence within the culture of these guys and the nature of what they are as players to help grease those wheels a little bit. That's ultimately where I land as well. Um, I just think it's worth acknowledging that Kuzma is in a contract year and yeah. doing the little things that get you patted on the back, that extra rotation, tagging a cutter, the things that the fans don't see. I'm sure he's going to want to know, am I going to get paid for that <laughs> at the end of this year? Uh, or do I like BI just got maxed out. Right. Yeah. For So those are the things that th they're there. 
I think that the culture yeah. that we've already established are, is going to help address those things. But Schroeder's in a contract year. Trez is in a contract year. Just saying it's a thing. And the, and the reason why it's a thing, though, is because there's an abundance of talent. And there are a lot right. of teams that would love to have that much talent on the bench. So in specifically, it's, it's Schroeder, Kuz, and Harrell. I think it's who we're talking about for the most part there. Mm -hmm. And guess what? All three of those dudes are, could be, um, you know, highly productive scores in most starting lineups in the yeah. NBA. They just could. Kuz and Harrell happen to be playing behind LeBron James and Anthony Davis. So, you know, Hey, <laughs> if those guys are sure. going to play fewer minutes, like, and that's tough. And that Kuz dealt with that last year. Uh, Schroeder, I think is going to have a little bit more of an opportunity there because in that backcourt group, KCP Caruso uh, and then Matthews like shooter is the guy that's going to have the basketball more. And when he comes in the game, it's like, all right, go and create some offense, especially in the regular season. We don't have to tax LeBron with having with needing him to create every shot. And so that all is nice, but the, like the, the 10 man rotation. And it, so everybody knows where it is, but so LeBron, here's the way I would put it. You guys can, can hit back if you think it'd be slightly different, but LeBron and shooter and shooter point guard, um, two KCP and Caruso three Matthews and Kuzma. Now you could flop KCP and Matthews and sure. three. I just think Matthews is a little stronger. I'll, he's also shorter. Pete, do you have any comments on Matthews being shorter? Yeah. Uh, I, 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 we hit that last <laughs> spot. Um, AD and Keith um, at the four and then Gasol and Harrell at the five with THG as that kind of wing wild card that I think could play here and there. I mean, that is just a nasty 11 and yes, there is an abundance of talent, but it's like this, this 72 game season approach, I think is going to be defense. Everybody give me what you have defensively every night and then certain nights. Well, okay. Every night, LeBron and AD, <laughs> but like certain nights, shooter, you're going to get 20 shots up another night. Kuz, you get 20 shots up tonight. Another night, Harrell. And like who, who closes the game is often going to be the, the guy that's been most efficient in that context offensively. So they're all going to get their averages are going to, are going to suffer. You're not going to see shooter and Harrell again, one and two in the league and bench scoring. Yours not. Mm -hmm but they're going to each have their nights where they go off. I mean, insert my Marlo Stanfield quote here, Pete. When the editing comes through, I want to hear, it sounds like one of those good problems. Because, right. and this is where it comes back to Vogel, right? So we've talked a lot about the leadership structure within LeBron and AD, but those guys are both a pillar and an extension of what the head coach sets as well as the culture right and Vogel's also a collaborative leader we talked about that when we had that whole pod about him and, and his contributions to the championship and so I do trust Vogel to be a guy who is not going to play favorites beyond LeBron and AD right and if Schroeder's got it going, guess what? He probably is going to close a game. If Harrell has it going, guess what? He probably is going to close a game, right? The same will be true for Matthews. The same will be true for KCP and Caruso. The same could be true for Kuzma or even Markeith Morris, right? And so, or Mark Gasol, up and down the roster, depending on what matchups say, depending on how guys have been playing throughout the course of the game, depending on how a guy has been playing over the course of three or four or five games. Right. And Vogel's also one, one of those coaches where he said this throughout the season, like, uh, you know what? I remember he used to say this about cook. Like, you know what? I, I really wanted to give him a look. Like I didn't want him languishing on the bench 
mm-hmm. for too long without getting a chance to get some run. And these are big picture ideas that we don't often think about within the context of coaching. We always think it's it's X's and O's and how he's handling the right. rotation that specific night. But it's a long season and managing a roster People? over the course of months and months and months right? Takes a big picture view that I trust Vogel to have. Uh, yeah, I certainly do as, as well. And yeah, so with all of that said, um, the Lakers, I think we all feel the Lakers were the team in the West that improved the most. But when we come back from the break, we're going to talk about who else improved in the West and who maybe took a step back. So let's throw it to break. We'll be right back. Even though sports had a break, your business didn't. You have to keep moving, and that makes hiring more important than ever. Indeed is here to help. Indeed.com is the number one job site in the world because Indeed gets the best people fast. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need, you can pause your account at any time, and there are no long-term contracts. And now, Indeed's new way of matching you with candidates instantly delivers a short list of quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job criteria. You can contact them the moment you sponsor a job making Indeed the only job site that can move as fast as you do. Plus, Indeed provides powerful tools to make your search that much easier. Like sponsored jobs, which are shown to be three and a half times more likely to result in a hire. With 73% of online job seekers visiting Indeed each month, Indeed is going to get you the important hire you need. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it and fast. Try Indeed out with our $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com backslash BlueWire. Offers valid through December 31st. Terms and conditions apply. The wait is finally over and football is back. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in the action at Bet Online. BetOnline is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, BetOnline gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to BetOnline today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Don't forget to use promo code BLUEWIRE at BetOnline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. I'm really curious to hear what you guys have thought of the Clippers offseason thus far. They re-signed Markeith Morris for four and sixty-four. Marcus, Marcus Morris. Marcus, Marcus Morris. Marcus Morris. Marcus Morris. I'm sorry, I forget. That's, you know they they share a bank he, account, so that's Markeith's money too. Account. Yeah, that's Markeith's money you. too. I appreciate Look, Balmer I, subsidizing his contract. Pete, that's, I have identical That's my twins. favorite part of Polinka's. Sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. I, no, oh, yeah, I twins, have identical yes. twins, as mm-hmm. you know, and mm-hmm. I named one Jet. I shouldn't say I. My wife and I. Sorry, Goose. Um, how, many, <laughs> how much of our audience do you think hasn't watched Top Gun? There's probably a bunch of young kids out there. Oh, yeah. Uh, that yeah, that's 1986, anyway, brother. Yeah. There'll one's, be a new one coming out is, next year. New one coming right, out buddy. next year. Maverick. The reboot. Maverick. Um, yes. one, one is Jet, one is Talent, specifically because I was worried that people would confuse the names. But there's a, there's a beauty in the way that the Morris brothers and like how much they go back on my IG um, and, f- and find the championship walk-off interview with Markeith talking about his relationship with his brother. Like it almost made me cry. These guys 
the love there is so genuine and so strong. So like, I actually don't think they're offended ever by that kind of stuff. They're not like, Hey man, don't, don't get my name wrong with my twin. They're like, yeah, that's damn right. That's my, that's twin, me bro. too. So yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. So like, so I, so Pete, I, I I'm not coming down on you at all for that. That in fact, I think Marquise would appreciate that. All right. Well, thank you. Thank you for the, the clarity and insight as a father of identical twins <laughs> yourself. So, <laughs> so Marcus, yeah. Marcus gets four and 64. They signed Serge Ibaka for the mid-level exception. He was a guy that, you know, the Lakers had been rumored about kind of beforehand. And when I wasn't able to talk about any of that, I was watching tape on guys. Serge was one of the guys that mm-hmm. I, I watched. I'm curious, Darius, about the Ibaka signing in particular. He's a guy who I was struck by how much he's changed from his younger years. Yeah, He was a guy who came into the league as... He was, he led the league in shot blocking. He was just like, wow, look at that guy athletically vertically above the rim. And now he's pretty much entirely old man game, floor bound, skilled, right? He's, he, he could hardly be different than he's, I, I will say he still has some shot blocking chops, right? He does. There, like mm-hmm. the timing, the thing with being a great shot blocker, it's not just jumping high, right? It's, right. it's, it's timing and instincts. And he still has plenty of that, just not the same athleticism, which means he's not challenging everything that comes his way. He's more choosy now. Right. Right? I mean, he's under he's under one block per game at this point, and he's more of a positional defender, similar to Mark, right? He's going to try to beat you to the spot and under, anticipate, and he knows he's made every possible defensive rotation thousands of times. He's a, he's a professional basketball player and a professional defender on a team that despite their high-end talent of Kawhi and Paul George had a lot of guys on the court in important minutes who were not good defenders. So he's going to help them. I'm curious from your perspective though, Darius is his matchup with AD. That was really our, our Trump card against them last year was when we'd go small, put AD yeah. at the five. Those were far and away our best lineup. So we didn't always do that. The regular season games, but Ibaka is one of the guys that I think matches up with AD best in the NBA. Interesting. Just in terms of his physical profile, he is, he is smart. Like you said, he does understand positioning and angles. He does have a degree of physicality. AD is going to outclass him athletically at this point, but it's, so like a Paul Millsap, PJ Tucker, those are guys who fit similar descriptions in terms of, being veterans, understanding, having def- high defensive IQ, understanding positioning. What they don't have is Serge Ibaka's length and his strength, at least in that type of frame. I'm curious about specific to the Lakers Clippers matchup. How do you think Ibaka fits into that whole dynamic? Ibaka is really going to help the Clippers a fair amount. And he was a really good signing for them. Um, I think he probably fits what they need to do for the playoffs a little bit better than Harrell does um, just because as more of a defensive anchor type as um, a quote unquote, small ball center, right? Ibaka's not seven, seven feet. He's like six ten, very good length though. Um, and he's more of a floor stretcher as a shooter, which Harold is not right. And so I think from and Zubats is not too. So he can compliment zoo in terms of stylistically. Yeah. And, and so 
And he's got some role game to him as well in the pick and roll. He's not a dunk on you guy anymore. He's more of like a roll into like short hooks and little floaters. And he can still dunk when he's got a free lane, but but not the over-the-top player that that he once was. In terms of his matchup with the Lakers, look, man, like AD's one of the best players in the world. He's going to win his matchup. 90% of the time, mm-hmm. right? Like I saw, I saw Anthony Davis winning his matchup more often than not against prime defensive player of the year, Draymond Green, right? Now Draymond's not mm-hmm. as tall as, as Ibaka, but I'm talking defensive player of the year level, Draymond Green, right? Right. And, and so I don't think the Clippers, the Clippers still don't have a player I would trust to guard Anthony Davis one-on-one or within a team concept, like over the course of a full game. The only player I would trust to do that is Anthony Davis, right? Spider-Man meme type mm-hmm. type of sure. thing there. So I think Ibaka helps them overall. I think he nudges them in the right direction against AD. The difficulty for them, though, still is like, all right, well, are you really going to put Serge on an island against AD or in a screen and roll game with Schroeder or with LeBron? And if you switch, right, do you then trust Paul George on AD? I think you trust Kawhi, but even Kawhi is like not as big, right? And then do you trust Serge on LeBron in isolation at the top of the floor? These right. are real problems. It's mm-hmm. why the Lakers won the championship. It's a problem for every team in the league. And so does Ibaka help? Yeah, he helps. Does he put them over the top in some weird way? Like, I don't think so, no. but, but he nudges them closer in the right direction, which is good for the Clippers. The thing with the Lakers and Clippers and the, the, the main difference, and I'm going to set the role players aside for a second, is that LeBron and AD complement each other perfectly on the court and off the court, but just speaking about on the court. Kawhi and Paul George um, terrifically complement each other defensively just in the fact that they're both you know super good in the wing, but offensively their games are a little bit duplicative where they're not necessarily always just running in action together where if you're paying attention to one on one side of the floor, then the other is going to kill you on the other side. So if Kawhi's got the ball and he's isolated on whoever and he, and you know, you, you trap him or whatever, you get the ball out of his hands. Paul George is often just, he might be spaced out at the other three point line, but he's not, mm-hmm. he, it's not like when LeBron has the ball and you shift the defense over there and 80s getting a dunk a lot of those times. Oh, right now he can space out. Yeah, LeBron too, and AD. Yeah. Yeah. They yeah, can no, be great on the yeah. same play. LeBron, yeah, LeBron and AD can be great on the same play. It's much harder for Paul George and Kawhi. They more have to take turns. So that, so that kind of, to me, goes to Darius's point about Ibaka, where, sure, if he comes in, he's got the physical profile to, like, he could, you could put him on uh, AD at the start and on paper. You're like, okay, yeah, that makes sense, like PJ Tucker does to an extent where it's not like, oh, okay, AD's g- going to just immediately go attack this matchup for 40 and 20 um, tonight. But it's all in the context of what he's doing off of LeBron's actions. And that's why it doesn't matter if Serge is on him because if, if they're try- like, then you just screen him or have AD shoot across the lane or like, there's just so many options the Lakers can have, um, especially with the rest of the guys on the floor that can space. So I, the thing that I think Pete, when you to, to back to your original question about the Clippers, I, I think what they needed is the, is a floor general and a, a playmaker type of a guy. Mm-hmm. 
And that's why everybody was speculating about potentially Rondo or whoever going there. And, and guess what? That player is not easy to find or to get no. or to ascertain. And there are only so many lead guards in the NBA that can break down a defense. And most of them are either locked up or are getting paid a lot. Now, I do think that the Clippers have a, a, a smart a group of executives. Like, I'm not putting it past them to find that type of a player uh, by the trade deadline, but I don't see it on the roster right now. You know, I think Luke Kennard can help in certain spots and replacing Shamit. And again, Abaka is a, is a, a, a decent enough substitution for the combo of Jermichael Green and, uh, and Harrell, although sort of different. But I don't like this is not a kumbaya sort of everybody's like you're hearing the stuff from Wes Matthews and um, Harold and all that motivation and building on top of this Lakers chemistry like that. That to me still needs to be answered um, on the other side of the hallway at Staples. And so I we, we're not you can't overlook the Clippers and the talent. It's just that they they're the team now that has to prove all of these concepts uh, in the regular season, whereas the Lakers do not. And, and that would be a difference from last year when when both teams had to prove something. Yeah, they should have been asked to prove something uh, from beginning. I think that they were given a lot of benefit of the doubt that was unearned. And the landscape of that is very different. And that's something that the Lakers are going to have to navigate that idea of, oh, we got this. We got the best squad, which we do. We have the best roster in the NBA. Uh, but if you skip the steps, if you don't want to do the work, then you could be in trouble. So can we do this? Uh, just a little little exercise. And Pete, uh, you had hinted at this earlier in the pod. Each of us has has a team uh, a riser uh, and a faller potentially in the west now pete was the clippers one of your teams or did because i'm glad we talked about that but or is that counting as one of your two or not as as give me time to think about it i don't think i'm going to pick okay i i like jermichael okay. green he, they lost him and yeah they didn't get that that ball handling guard they've got too many guys in their rotation still who can't really defend so yeah i'm not picking the clippers even though they might be my number two team Okay, so Darius, why don't we start with you? And do you, do you want to do you pick riser or faller first? And we'll go we'll go one by one here and see if we have any overlaps. Let's do faller. Um, and this is just sort of a shame that we'll go back to this team because we talked about them a fair amount both in the Western Conference like tiers discussion, and then we mentioned them again a few pods ago. But the Warriors, to me are a faller, particularly with the Clay Thompson injury. Um, I think they tried to scramble and getting Kelly Oubre in there is a nice add to them. But it's funny because we were all so excited about the Warriors. And I think rightfully so, right? The Splash Brothers and Steph's a two-time MVP and Clay Thompson and, and championship medal and Draymond Green and all of that. But suddenly they've lost one player, one player, a very important player, but one player. And it's sort of like, like, oh, no, 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 no. You can't talk about them anymore as being in that upper tier. And I think that's fair. I guess if you lose one of your best two or three players, that would be true for everyone. But it sort of highlighted their lack of proven depth to me that losing one guy could then say like, oh, are they in trouble sort of deal, right? And suddenly it puts this major, even bigger importance on Steph Curry. And then now there's more questions about, oh, well, Draymond Green. And then everyone moves up a slot, right? And you know, we've had this discussion a lot and what my perspective is, but 
proper slotting to me is so important when you're building out a championship caliber roster. And to now say, uh, hey, Andrew Wiggins, hey, Kelly Oubre, you have to be more than what you were supposed to be two weeks ago, right? And Draymond Green, we're going to need maybe more scoring from you. And hey, um, the number two draft pick. uh, Wiseman. Wiseman, you are... I know you're the second pick on the draft, but like we may actually need you to be something right away now. And that's a different thing. So they would probably be to me one of the team that like, like, oh, I just see them not where they were. Right. And most of that is by injury. Not a lot of it is because of like moves in free agency. So, so to speak. But if we're talking about what I thought two weeks ago versus what I think today, it would be the Warriors. Yeah, uh, I'll, Pete, I'll go, and, and I'm I'm sure you have your team by now, but just in case not. And Darius, I, I agree. I like the way that you approach that because it's more of the spirit of, all right, it's not that this team made some major, you know, boner mistake in free agency yeah. this last week, but it's like they're just, they're not going to be where uh, we thought they might be. And, of course, Clay's injury is the biggest reason, but it's still facts. It's still facts that they're, they're just not, uh, we think, going to be in that same level of contention. And the team that I picked is kind of similar uh, and where I, where it's not necessarily that the front office did something, whereas like OKC, for example, there, this isn't the team I'm selecting, but you know, they're, we all understand what they're doing, right? That makes sense. Like to deal Chris Paul, um, to deal Steven Adams, like they have all these picks coming up. That makes sense. They were fifth last year. They're dropping out, but so they're, they're not a contender uh, in that context. You know, I Denver, like they lose Jeremy Grant, they bring in Jermichael Green, they re-sign Millstep. Uh, they didn't really bring in a player like the Lakers did that I think makes them noticeably better, but maybe they have some internal growth. Michael Porter Jr. develops, et cetera, but like not a gainer still. You know, same thing with Utah. Uh, I, I don't know if they really brought something in that makes them a lot different or better, but the team to me that in spirit falls off is Houston. And this is the four seed. They got to the second round, even though it took them four, uh, seven games against OKC. And it's Harden and Westbrook are still there at the moment. Uh, I, I actually kind of am in, intrigued by DeMarcus Cousins going there. And mm-hmm. I, I liked uh, them. I liked the move that they make um, to, uh, to, to sign. Uh, Wood. Austin, I'm like, yeah, thank you. Christian Wood uh, from Detroit. And like, I, I kind of like that uh, they send Covington out, but I just, I'm just not buying at all that that group is going to coalesce that Russ and James are on the same page. It's a new coach. Maury's gone. It's just like, even though they've still got some interesting talent, I don't know how that possibly can coalesce towards a, a season, you know, that makes them a real, that, that strikes fear um, in a team when they get there. So that would be Pete, my, uh, my loser in this, uh, even though, again, it's not that like there was some massive blunder. It's just like, what's going on with the, with the dynamic there. Yeah. That's compounded by, are they going to play the same style of play that, because it was constructed that that roster last year to play a very specific style of basketball and a very unique style that is Steven Silas, is that the type of basketball that he wants to play signing a guy like DeMarcus cousins indicates that perhaps it's not, although he's kind of a flyer, I think at this point, just due to, to health reasons. Right. Well, I guess, I guess Wood starts at the five though, right? Like Wood starts at the five Tucker starts at the four. Uh, sure. And then, you know, you pick, I guess house, uh, depending on how all that wave blows over from the bubble starts at the three and then Harden Westbrook and you're off the bench with Gordon. Like it's, I get that uh, to an extent and cousins comes in, but it's, it's yeah. Like it, so you mean more like in a style of does does Wood play like spaced out from three and just huck up you know huck up shots and 
that's what I'm saying. That's what I'm yeah. saying is that the Houston Rockets last season played a very specific, very unique style of play that nobody else in the league played like that by the end of the season. And so the roster additions that they made indicate to me that they're going to go a little bit more conventional than they were last season, but we don't know. And then what does that look like? Right. Is, yeah. is it going to be all isolation touches for James Harden? Like they've had a completely different style of play that in the absence of Maury, in the absence of D'Antoni, do they even play that same way? That's a huge, that they're, they're an organization in transition in a lot of ways. And I, that usually doesn't result in good things on the floor. They feel like a team in disarray to me, even if there's a lot yeah. of the same players that are on the floor, right? New coach, new, well, new general manager. They're two max guys who are on super max contracts, right? Yeah, These guys are on super max con contracts. Both yeah. of them have reportedly requested trades. You've got leaks coming out of there about how players have been unhappy. Um, there was some, you know, that report that was on The Athletic where P.J. Tucker was supposedly upset about his contract. Austin Rivers just opted out. Um, so there's a lot of like question marks around there. You've got quotes coming from the front office about how we're going to hang on to these guys and we're ready to get uncomfortable Right. Which implies that there's sort of both sides are digging their heels in a little bit. And so yeah. there's a lot of question marks there, Mike. So I'm on board with with you there about Houston. I remembered I had sort of offered an argument pro for them when we talked Western Conference stuff. But I'm much more now of all right. Well, maybe they won't have James Harden. Maybe they right. And, and he's a perennial MVP candidate. Like if, if your best player is unhappy, that's problems. Like it just is. And getting him back on board to me, um, people have made the like 2008 Kobe comparison, right? Where Kobe requested a trade and then Dr. Buss famously said, no, we're not going to deal, deal you. But that team came out of the gate firing, right? Andrew Bynum looked like, like, oh my goodness, like this dude's playing like an all-star. Like, who is this guy? And suddenly Lamar then is slotted correctly. And, and it's and then, you know, they make a way early trade for Powell. And it's just like, oh, this team can be something, right? And suddenly all that was forgotten. I feel like it's going to be much harder to get Houston turned around. Just a quick tangent, if you guys will allow, on, on Kobe and Dr. Buss. So I, I did this big piece a couple of years ago on, I guess that was last year we put it out, on Dr. Buss and, you know, just the sort of the history, the oral history of the greatest owner in team sports. And I got to speak to Kobe about it. And I asked him about that offseason. And essentially what happened was, so yes, Kobe had the trade demands and we all saw that that was all on wax. So Kobe is in Barcelona vacationing with his family. Dr. Buss is in Italy um, as he used to go every summer. And they, they get, and I think they get in contact. I have to, I'd have to look back to see how it happened, but basically um, they like, they meet and Dr. Bust essentially just says, look, man, trust me. I got you. I, I, we always find a way like you're, you're one of us. You got to say, so it wasn't with Kobe and Dr. Bus. It wasn't as contentious now as I think sometimes we look back and Kobe makes the trade demand and Dr. Bus says, no, like we're keeping you like they, they talked like men yeah, and yeah. respected each other and loved each other um, in a lot of ways. And then uh, that same day, Kobe saw Powell working out at the hotel 
where he was look where he was working out and sort of they had some of those conversations like oh man what, like his pa wanted out of memphis um at least he wanted to win right and he didn't think it was going to happen in memphis little did they know that later um that's that season that specific season of course bynum starts out great uh and then they get pow but like that yeah I, I just always i always think about that and like kobe wanted to win dr bus wanted to win and kobe sort of realized and remembered and was like oh yeah like this guy's got me and he did he it's just so much harder in houston's position in that kobe and dr bus had 12 years together up to that point and three championship runs and most of the teams were very good it had only been a couple of years where it was like our first round and done type of roster kobe had been yeah. frustrated with that and but totally they had something to lean back on. Said. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, yep. Yep. Um, as for my team that I think is a faller, this is more in context with how highly I had started to think of them. And this kind of knocked them back down. And that's Denver. Denver is a team I've been thinking about a lot since the end of the playoffs that Murray really came into his own. Jokic is what, 25, 26 they're a, a team on the rise. MPJ is extraordinarily talented, although I have some concerns on the defensive end and, and with different aspects of his game. He's no denying his talent. They're they're a really good team. They're a really good roster. But with as much as we talk about the importance of having different skill sets represented, I think Jeremy Grant walking out of, out of the door leaves them in a place where they don't have anybody who replaces him. They don't have a long, rangy wing defender. That, they also lost Torrey Craig, Pete. So that's mm -hmm. another guy that is out the door too. So yeah, I just I wanted like to Tory Craig. To, yeah, to like add Tory that Craig. too. He goes to Milwaukee. It's funny. I yeah. There's a there's a Nuggets fan that I follow that uh, whose opinion I respect, and he said, you know, the idea of Tory Craig is a lot better than the reality of Tory Craig. So we've all had players like that. With on the sure, yeah, that we love. like one of those guys yeah. you just like him, right? But it just doesn't work out quite that way. So yeah. anyway, for because yeah. I've had the same thought worked, when he got cut. Worked I was out, like, worked out better than whoever's going to play in his spot. Amen. Right. And that's the thing is that with as highly as I think of Jokic and Murray and the combination of Murray's shot making and Jokic's passing and just kind of unique profile, they're going to be a difficult team to match up with for years to come just based on that. And so I didn't think that they could beat the Lakers in a seven game series going forward, but I've been thinking more and more Denver is going to be a real problem that last year wasn't just a fluke that that was one of those beginning of something of that team yeah. of these guys in their early to mid twenties coming into their own. And that can still go forward. Jeremy Grant is not an irreplaceable type of player, but they need a player like Jeremy Grant to be the type of team I was thinking of them as being before this. Can I just say too that early on during the offseason, which it's funny to even frame a, such a condensed offseason as early on, right? But from the end of oh, the week. from the yeah. end of the playoffs and then into what was like sort of the idea of what is a team going to look like coming into this season, Denver was looked at as a potential trade option, right? For a guy like Drew Holiday, or are they going to make a run? at another guy, right? And of course they're gonna retain Jeremy Grant. And right, and so it was sort of this idea of, they're not only going to bring back a team that was really good and got to the conference finals, but they may add an impact piece right. that, that's that's going to, to tack on and, and, and stack the roster even more for them to, to jump into that upper tier, right? Where, where the Clippers are 
as like a real contender for the championship as one of the five or six teams that you think can viably win. And instead they not only don't get that guy, but they lose Grant as well. And then they had renounced Tory Craig's rights. And so now he's out the door and it's like, suddenly they do look weaker. Now they did get Jermichael green. I think that he will help them, Yeah, but like him. you're now looking at, more internal growth right and now maybe this is okay there are no more roadblocks for michael porter jr there are no more impediments for mike malone to say yeah well guess what like you're only playing 18 minutes tonight right like no he may get 28 minutes a night now and bull bull may see some minutes and it's right they just converted his two-way into a regular contract right plumly walked yeah and then plumly walked too it's, but it's like, okay, like when I look at young teams, I often look at them from, from the context of, of this really is a next man up opportunity for younger guys who have real talent. And yeah. um, maybe they can surprise some, but I'm with you, Pete, that it's like op, from an optic standpoint, they look like not a full step back, but maybe like a half a step back or three quarters of, of a step, right? Still a really good team, but some but something to watch as maybe no longer a top three team and maybe a fourth or a fifth slot instead, which so I think Denver, bridges us to like, maybe who's rising up, right, Mike? Yeah, for sure. But let me, uh, let me kick in on Denver for a second. And yeah. then if I could, because this team, I, I, I'm glad Pete brought them up because they're, they're fascinating. So on the one hand, they're super young. And in theory, they're three best players, right? Going forward um, into as they get into their prime. So Jokic is 25, Murray's 23, MPJ is 21. But the issue with that is that Jokic and Murray have been in the league for long enough that they're already on their rookie extensions. So this year, for example, they're making almost 60 mil together. You know, Jokic around 30, Murray around 27, and then that goes up for 21, 22. So it's it's a little bit different from like the NFL equivalent where you get the Russell Wilson young quarterback that's not getting paid yet. So you can spread that money around to all the, the vets and the defensive line and such. Uh, like so that formula where you've got your young guys and then you bring in the vets that you're paying uh, to help you win now. And that's the concern, I think, with Denver is that they're still seen as this sort of young and up and coming team. But those guys, Jokic and Murray, are forever max now moving forward. And the trick is to bring in the talent around them and recruit that type of talent to Denver. Now, uh, they do have Will Barton coming back, who was really good in the regular season, didn't get to play in the postseason. That'll help some. Um, you know, Dozier showed some signs, I thought, in the postseason. Uh, I really like Monte Morris, but... You know, they just drafted a point guard, a, a, a international point guard, and he's going to command some money. Uh, I, I think teams like Monte Morris, are they going to be able to keep him um, in that role, given that he's he's sort of locked into the six-man spot there with Murray? So I, I when you're close, you get to the Western Conference Finals, what you what you would, I think, want to see is to, like, make a make a step forward. And yeah. that, to me, maybe is the centerpiece of, of why you brought him up, is that even if they could be kind of, you know, kind of tread water from last year, there's no clear step forward for next season. And then are, are is there something that you're wasting there um, as a shot? And like, maybe part of that is you look at the Lakers and you're like, well, God, who can we bring in here that really gives us a legit t chance to beat that team four times. So I, like, I get it. It's tough, but um, yeah, that, that, that's uh, why they're an int intriguing team here and potentially going down a peg. One quick thing too: losing grant for nothing hurts because 
that is a salary slot that now just goes away. And that speaks to Mike's point about having two max guys that are already on the roster. One yeah, of the even if they're young, you don't get the financial benefit. Yeah. One of the important things that you need to do when you're in already, and this is like now team building CBA stuff, but one of the things you need to do when you're an above the cap team are keep those players on your roster who, who make that, 12, 14, 16, $18 million. Like even if you have to overpay a little bit to keep those guys, you want to keep them not only because they can help your team from a talent standpoint, but once their sal- once their salary slot go- goes away, it's gone for good. Like there's no signing another $20 million a year guy like Jeremy Grant just got because you no longer have that guy in the pipeline and those guys are useful for trades and salary ballast and all kinds of other stuff. And now that's just gone. And that hurts just like it hurts the Celtics to lose like Gordon Hayward for that same reason. Like you never want to be a team that's over the cap and lose contributing players for nothing, for nothing. It's why the Warriors turned you know, Durant into Russell whom yeah. they turned into Wiggins and a and a number one pick, right. Whom they could potentially then flip Wiggins like that. They at least have that slot to, as Darius just eloquently. Well, well also too, it, they did the same thing with Iguodala, right? They traded him, but got the trade yeah. trade exception. And then they absorbed Kelly Oubre for that. Right. And, and so the Lakers did the same thing way back in the day. They may have traded Lamar Odom, but they ultimately used that trade exception to get Steve Nash right now. These things don't always work out, but you want these little quivers like you want those arrows in your quiver, right? To, to like basically have those resources at, like at your disposal to help with team building. All right, Darius, do you want to hit us with your riser after all of this talk about uh, teams that we're not sure about? Yeah, let's talk about Portland, Mike. You and I were having a nice little side conversation before Pete joined our little Zoom here about Portland. I like what Portland did. Um, when we talked about the Warriors potentially falling out of the top four, Portland looks like a team that could be jumping into that mix. I really like their move for Robert Cove Covington. I like that they were to able to retain Rodney Hood. You know, I'm not the biggest Ennis Cantor fan, but he's going to eat innings for them as a big man spot. He can score some, he can get at the offensive rebounds. They're a really good team. They've got, so they've got one of the best players in the league, and I think that they've got some really good complimentary pieces around him in order to make a push. And Dame's not getting any younger. I think that they did make some really good moves to try to push this team forward. And I'm intrigued by what them. Dame, 30? Is he 30? I think I so. 29 or 30. Okay. Yeah. He's 30. He's, he's right yeah, to he's me, 30. like in the middle of his prime still shooting like that will will age well so but but anyways portland's my team that i think took a major step forward this this offseason i like their moves do i think that they can win a championship with with this roster i don't but they were the eighth seed last season if you're talking about teams that can make the biggest jump potentially they could be the three seed this year Mm -hmm. right and that's five slots that they could go up in a brutal Western conference. And to me, like they got a lot better. And that point, I would agree with you that they're the team that's probably going to rise the most having Nurkic for an entire season. They had such a glaring. I don't think there was a, 
a playoff team, at least in the West, that had a more glaring deficiency than their wing defense. And they went from that to at least having Covington, right? You at least have one guy who's not just average at it. He's actually a really good wing defender. So that, and and Derek, I, Derek Jones Jr. potentially sure. too. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. You got some athleticism. You got who can fill the lane on the break as well. So I agree. That said, that fact that they could be a three seed very plausibly speaks to the idea that none of the actual contenders, the guy, the teams that I think that we'd be facing in a Western Conference Finals, the the Warriors got worse, as you mentioned earlier. The Clippers, I think, I think the Clippers are going to be better in in part just because the basketball gods slapped them around last year and there's no way in hell they approach this season quite the same way. So I think there's some, they'll benefit some from that. Um, but I, I really like Jermichael Green for them. And he walked out and he, he goes to, to Denver, but I don't know, I don't love his fit in Denver quite as much as I did in it with the Clippers. And they re-signed Morris, who was fine for them. They did not get that ball handling guard. Then the Nuggets with Jeremy Grant losing him. The three teams that when we did do that Western Conference preview a while back that we considered two, that three, tier and four. below the Lakers. Yeah, they two, were two, three, three four. and four for us. Two of them, two of them got worse pretty clearly, in my opinion. And one of them, at best, in my it treaded water or got a little bit better in the Clippers. And so Portland being that team, I, the team that I, I will pick, I don't necessarily view them as a contender, but I think well, Phoenix Pete, hold, got a lot hold better. That thought, so, Pete, hold yeah, that thought for one sorry. second. Uh, so let me get in on Portland, and then uh, and then I'm, I'm, I'm very intrigued now that you said Phoenix because we may or may not have picked the same team. Um, Portland, so here's part of what Darius and I were, uh, again, this is not, a, this is a sports argument, okay? This was not like a real argument. I'm, I'm a little bit, so Bobby Marks, who I like, uh, has been this week kind of okay who won free agency and he said oh, clearly, I saw that. That was ridiculous clearly it's yes. portland you know they're they're to me now the second best team in the west and that was just one i i kind of this is how i felt last year about utah like two years ago i really liked utah i thought they were underrated loved quinn snyder loved, loved with that together then last year some people were picking utah as like the number two seed or the number three seed and i i just i didn't think that they had the ability to get that high. I now feel that same way about Portland. And first of all, to, to, to counter a little bit, there is what you said about Portland as the eight seed last year. The reason they were eight, the eight seed was because Nurkic and Collins missed the whole season basically. And they just didn't have any bigs or wings. And so I think they would have been six, seven, eight games better and right around where they should have been like kind of between four and six, um, right, you know, right there in that range. I still think that they're, basically right there in that range. Now, could they get up to three? Maybe, but they're the core problem for me remains there that their guys, uh, Lillard and McCollum, who this year, you know, are combining to make over 60 million there. They, those two are on the floor in crunch time. And that's, that's a good thing to an extent for your offense, but it's always going to be such a weakness for your defense. And you got yeah. two guys to attack on either side of the floor. Um, it's two weak spots to go at, whereas the Lakers didn't have one in that series. And it, it just wasn't close. Now, if you put Covington in there instead of Carmelo, you're going to get a little bit better weak side defense. Sure. But it's not like he's, he's impacting LeBron or AD at the rim. You know, it, uh, now he may block a shot here and there, but it's just, it's not that much of an upgrade. Um, same thing. Derek Jones jr. He's going to be uh, pretty good in some context, but like Gary Trent jr. Was pretty good last year uh, for other reasons. And so he's, he might be the guy that's on the floor more. And so I just don't, I don't see them as, 
as like Covington alone and then to a lesser extent, Derek right. Jones Jr. I just I don't see those guys as this like massive home run when Covington is going to be on his third team in three years. So uh, I, I like I like them. I agree they get better, Darius, yeah. than last year, but I don't think they get better than what a healthy Portland would have done last year. I think much. that it's a regular season and playoffs argument too, to fair. a certain extent. Yeah. And I think that their depth, they're a much deeper team this season than last season. And that's accounting for injuries. But even, even last year's healthy team, this upcoming season's team is even deeper than that. Right. And so. That's so, true. They, they had to play Hazonia and Simons basically. Um, yeah. And mellow in the Lakers series at like bigger, big minutes. And that was a big problem. So that's, and, that's true. So now I like their rotation more one through 10 than I would have liked last year's team one through 10. And For sure. do some of those structural issues still, still exist that, that you mentioned? Yes. Right. And that's the problem of trying to build a championship team versus like a really good regular season team who could probably win a round in the playoffs and maybe win a second round or make a second round competitive versus a team that's going to win 16 games in the playoffs, right? That's just a different beast. And Portland is not that level. But in terms of risers, they, they definitely hit, hit my list there. What you got though, feel Pete? Feel you. Yeah, so... Uh, the rising team to me is Phoenix and that Chris Paul, I mean, OKC wasn't supposed to be good last year. They weren't supposed to be the fifth seed, I think is where they ended up. And I think Chris and Paul pushed brings, Houston to seven games. They did. They yeah. did. And I think Chris Paul just raises the floor of a team significantly. I know that Mike, you're not, you don't put as much stock in the seeding games, but I think for a team like Phoenix, having that 8-0 run, and yeah, they didn't make it in, but getting some momentum going into an offseason, I think is important for a young team. They saw kind of, hey, if we do what we're supposed to do, this can be different around here. We can actually have some success. And they they had a nice season last year. They started out well, the middle of it was rough, and then they finished well in the seeding games. And I think adding Chris Paul to that mix, you have an organizer, you have somebody who you get a better version of DeAndre Ayton on ball screens. Ricky Rubio, I think, is a really underrated point guard. So him leaving for OKC, I, you know, the difference is, though, with him and Chris Paul is that pull-up mid-range jumper. I think that Paul's addition makes them good at an area of the floor where they were not as much, or they just had Devin Booker, who's obviously an exceptional mid-range shooter. I think that they can get to more places on the floor and produce for more places on the floor this year than they did last year. And just in totality with, with everything they brought in Jay Crowder, which is a nice signing on the wing. I, I think that they're a team that could be in that, you know, five, six seed type of area when they were just out of the playoffs last year. Mike, did you, did you pick the same team? I did. I did, man. I, I totally agree with you on the Suns, and they are the team to me that has the biggest win loss difference from last season. Uh, mm -hmm. So in, in the, the shortened season, they're 34 and 39. I, I think that the Chris Paul point is the biggest one. And he just was, he was awesome last year. He was, he flat out was, he, he was all NBA second team, uh, you know, to me last year. And 
with him coming in, not only do you get the skills that Pete alluded to, you get the playmaking, you get the uh, the shooting in the mid-range, you get the, if Booker's got the ball, he can space like he did for James Harden on the other side, totally different from, from Rubio. Um, he's a dog-nosed defender, but he's also going to be huge for DeAndre Ayton uh, in his development. Like, look what CP3 did for DeAndre Jordan, you know, uh, and they're, like that – He's going to be like Aiden sometimes get lost out there. Not quite sure where to be. You're not getting lost from Chris Paul's on the floor. Cause he will scream at you until you are not lost. And like, that's going to be huge for him. And same thing for even a guy like Dario Saric, who they bring in again off the bench, who Chris can get on him. He doesn't need to get on Booker at all. Uh, and then like Mikhail Bridges on the wing, he seems like he doesn't need to mm. be told to compete yeah. his ass off. Bridges right? is a stud. Yeah. And then, and then I, Jay Crowder, I really like that move uh, as, I mean, we, we saw him like he's, he's tough. He's tough. He gave, he, mm -hmm. you know, he competed well against LeBron and AD um, in the finals last year. And you can start him uh, if you want at the four and then, you know, bring in Cam Johnson as a space four. like, I, I, uh, I, I was definitely into what Phoenix did. And I think that they've got a shot if Chris stays healthy, especially to get up to as high as a three. Uh, I, I think wow. they've got that, that level of talent. I don't see Denver as being automatically better uh, than them or Portland um, or Utah or Houston. I, uh, Dallas, I think, is, is definitely in that mix. And maybe Luka's the tiebreaker. So that's a that's another team. But I, yeah, I, I was I was very impressed with uh, with how Phoenix improved from last season. And they were my riser as well, Pete. D, uh, what do you think about the Suns? I I agree with everything that you that you guys are saying. My only sort of pushback is that I liked Baines for them as mm -hmm. sort of a tough, rugged player. He spaced the floor for them. Um, good passer. Yeah. A good passer. I thought, too, that he was sort of Aiden insurance. I know Aiden was the former number one pick and that you expect his trajectory to continue to go up. I agree with you on how Chris Paul is going to help Aiden. Um, but I, I would have liked to have seen maybe like another big man or, or just retaining him and maybe having his role be smaller, right? Like instead of being a 24 to 28 minute a game guy, maybe him be like 18 to 22 minutes or something like that, right? Um, obviously, I love Chris Paul. He is, he is an asshole in the best way possible. Right. In the same way that like Rajon Rondo was that sort sort of guy. Chris Paul can be grading on guys at times, but I think his leadership works. Um, and that if you have the type of right minded players around him, they're going to embrace that. Um, and in Phoenix with guys like Bridges and Booker and um, Cam Johnson, just like you mentioned, and I think Aiton, those are all. Jay Crowder. Those are all really good players. Um, their depth can be a little bit shaky to me in the backcourt. I wonder they are Chris Paul doesn't have the best injury history last year. He was healthy and that was great. He made a bunch of diet changes and, and I think that that helped him, but he has a history of hamstring issues. He has a history of knee issues and, um, 
maybe he is the sort of revelation small guard a la John Stockton that can play 18, 19, 20 years and and, and remain and, and, and sort of keep his fastball at a relative level, right? And, and those guys truly are once in a generation guys. And Chris Paul really is sort of a once in a generation guy. We'll see if that happens for them. So on paper and in theory and best outcomes for them, I'm with you 100%. The question marks I do have for them are the, the sort of same types of question marks you could have for any team, but are ones that maybe could hit them a little bit more. Go ahead. Yeah, th- those are good points. Those are good points. I So I don't know about college players whatsoever, but the kid they drafted Jalen Smith, apparently, you know, he's a guy that can step in and play some of those backup minutes, like, you know, high energy kind of four or five, but it still, he's not going to be able to give you what Aaron Baines gave you um, by any means. Right. Um, and then I do, I do kind of like uh, check Diallo a little bit. Like he, mm-hmm. he would be the other big that can step in some and another guy that I think Chris Paul can help. And then backup guard wise, Javon Carter uh, was good there last uh, year. Yeah. Yeah. got better, but, but you're right though, Darius, there's not like, it's different from bringing, you know, shooter in, right. If you need them for a few games, it's different from bringing Harrell um, in or, or just relying more on Marcus all like to, to, again, just, just note the, the gap between the Lakers and some of these teams that we're talking about. It is significant. And it is significant because like the, these guys on the bench can ball. I mean, I, there are very few bench players in the whole West that I'd rather have than Alex Caruso. And I know that right. I'm horribly biased there, but like this dude. So, uh, but you're like those, the, I wanted to bring up those names, uh, but, but, you know, Pete, I think Darius is right. Like they, um, they still have another sort of level to go, but from where they were last year, um, yeah. still a, a big, a big gap for me. Yeah, no, absolutely. And having CP three there too, I think, lead and usher young guys who are starting to get it in a certain way into that next level of that team's evolution. I think sometimes that when we see teams rising, we can over project them. So I think their ceiling is, I think their ceiling is four, but more likely six, right. would be where I'd expect them to finish, but they're definitely heading in the right direction. All right. Uh, We're, uh, can I just say one last thing? One last thing. I really do love Booker. And so, yeah. He's one of those guys, I, like, he's just a flat-out player. And um, so if there's one young guy, right, like, I know we talk about Luca, and and we talked about Mitchell, right, who just got his big extension, and we talk about guys like Jason Tatum and all of these young guys, right, Jamal Murray, they've all gotten paid, right? Booker, to me, is right up there, if not better than almost all of those guys, but he just hasn't had the opportunity to play at those high level, high leverage, high stakes games where your reputation goes from like, Ooh, you're interesting to like, Holy shit. This dude's, yeah, you're one this of dude's dudes. a star, right? Yeah. Like, and I think Booker already has that reputation of being a star, but let them get into the playoffs and let them hit a game winner or right. let them, let them go for back-to-back 40 point games or something crazy. And his profile is going to go through the roof. So I just wanted to mention him since we were talking sons cool. that, that he's yeah, just Pete, one of those dudes. Pete, Chris, Chris helps him a lot too. And he's never had that guy that's going to, that's going to be able to set him up into mm-hmm. different actions in which Booker doesn't even need that much space, right. To be great, to get his own stuff off. And now 
Chris Paul is going to be able to finagle those situations for him on the court. So I, I, I think that's a key point too. Like he's, he's going to rise up a level and Chris signed up for that, right? These guys talked, uh, Booker wanted him to go in there. So that's a, that's a key point to bring up. It's going to be especially difficult to defend both of them in that you generally don't have two guys that defensively that are equipped to defend those two types of scorers or shot creators more so in Chris Paul's instance. And Chris Paul, let's just keep it this simply in the Western conference was the best player that any team added. And it's, I don't think that's particularly close. And so, yeah, Phoenix benefiting greatly from that. And Booker should, hopefully we do get to see a Jamal Murray esque or Donovan Mitchell esque performance for the first time in, in that, that period. Are they, the best backcourt in the NBA now, considering that clay is not going to play this season. I, we're not counting LeBron um, as a guard here. Um, mm-hmm. Just, in, you know, I mean, even though I guess he is a guard from backup standpoint, but like they're, they might be who would be, backcourt. who would be other contenders at. So, so Damon CJ are the, <sighs> yeah, I, I, Stephen clay stead. They're probably the guys holding that. Russ and Harden are in that conversation. As much as people yeah. like to hate on Russ, Wall and Beal. I guess Luca and I suppose Josh Richardson, right, would be the mm-hmm. so I like Luca to me is better than either Booker or Chris Paul, but the the second is much better than Richardson. So like the gap sure. there um is different. So I mean, yeah, I mean Mitchell and I guess Conley, Conley no. Um yeah, I mean that's that's basically not yeah, nobody more. Nobody in Toronto, Boston, like Lowry and Van Fleet's good, but no, I I think they might they might be the best backcourt in the NBA next year. I think I think my vote goes to Damon CJ still, but the, that backcourt's definitely nipping really? on your heels. I think so. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Okay. I'll, t- I'll I, I like them. On that one. I like them more than 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 you do. I I want to see Booker do it in games that matter, right? And I know that's you know the age old critique of him, right. Is all these games are being, obviously he's a, he's a star. He's somebody that's going to be able to do that. But I think that Chris Paul being able to produce alongside Chris Paul, there's going to be some challenges there, right? The same thing that we talked about with Kawhi and PG on the same play is like how great can, because CP three does set guys up, but it's generally off of ball screens. And so where does Devin Booker fit into a Chris Paul pick and roll at the end both, of a game. Both. Who's got the ball in their hands. Both those guys can defend though, too. And I, neither Dame or CJ can defend. I will you say think Booker that can defend. Yeah. I will but say he, his defense got much better last year. And he also was, he was not like, he was one of the, one of those guys where I've got to do everything on offense. And mm-hmm. so I sure. might not give that That's same fair. level and, of, of defense. And I think this year you're going to see like Booker in the bubble was playing both ends. So I, I, yeah, I do like, man, I can't believe how high a sound on this Phoenix Suns right now. I, but first of all, they're not as good as the Lakers, <laughs> but, but like, sure. But sure. yeah, I, I do. I do think that I do think that he can. Booker's, ahead, I was just going to say two things. Booker's bigger than you think he is. Right. And, and so he's bigger than a guy like CJ. Like, so he's harder to target defensively than a smaller guard like a Dame or a CJ, which is already just gives him higher upside defensively than some of these smaller guards, right? Like, so when people talk about like, oh, well, Luca, like people talk about um, the guard from Atlanta, his last name is be Trey Young, right? Trey Young's one of the worst defensive players, right? And people are like, oh, he doesn't try on defense and people will then say well Luca doesn't try on defense either yeah well Luca's six seven 
right? right. And so not tr- and he's built like a truck. So he can not try and still be way more effective. And so I like Booker's size defensively. The other thing I would yeah. say about playing off of Chris Chris Paul, Schroeder and SGA seem to do just fine playing sure. off of Chris Paul last season in in OKC. Um in the similar vein of what we talked about LeBron and AD as, as being sharers and being guys who are, have a high IQ and, and understand about moving the ball and getting your teammates involved. Chris Paul is cut from that cloth exactly the same way. And so I ex- like if Booker's got it going, I can see Chris Paul basically just kick ahead, kick ahead, kick ahead. For sure. Like we're giving, oh, like, I'm feeding you, I'm feeding you, right? So so I see them coalescing pretty well as as a backcourt. I, I think they probably do as well. I just think there's a degree of ball dominance with Booker that did not exist to the same degree with Schroeder and SGA. You're sure. just talking a different caliber of score. And there, it'll fair. take some figuring out, right? Like even the Kobe Nash, that ill-fated year, right? Like that that's a, a dynamic to navigate, that pure point guard that gets all the touches right next to the pure scorer at the two that gets buckets. It's an adjustment process. So I think they're going to be just fine. And they very well could be what Mike says that they are as the number one backcourt in the league. Uh, I just think that's a dynamic they're going to have to navigate. So um, we're not going to record. We got Thanksgiving coming up on Thursday. So thank you guys for listening to the show. I hope you all have a, a happy Thanksgiving. We'll be back next week. Can we do the next one? Can we do the Harold podcast that I've been, itching to do i'd love to do that as our as our next i show. think that's just going to be a solo pod right that's it just going to be, be you it just be, talking yeah. right <laughs> hour and a half of pete talking about short roll and uh, you yeah. know defensive assignments and everything else so i'm looking forward to listening to that one pete okay uh, fantastic <laughs> all right i hope uh, i hope y'all are too yeah have a happy thanksgiving everybody you've been listening to laker film room podcast We'll catch you next time. Baines has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tip to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic, got it. Magic fires. It's good. The Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Three seconds left. That next to the winner. It's on the way. Good. Kobe Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds. with his eighth block. An NBA Finals record. A lot of Laker fans okay, sticking so around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Freddie pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the score. move. Two, one, one. Listen! Right. It's over. Shot clock now to five. Bryant. Yes! And that was a little tough to Albert Gentry. Bad insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic. Trying to disrupt Rondo, he puts it in. Here's Davis, 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James.
putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters.